We're going to be reading from Colossians 3, verse 11. And if you want to follow in the church Bibles, that's on page 1184. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ <coughs> dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Cara. Um, uh, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, then let me uh, add my welcome to Steve's, especially if you're here for Verity's baptism. It's great to have you with us. And um, do keep your Bibles open there at page 1184, because you've joined us just in time for the end of our series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And what a note to end on. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, Obey your masters. Gosh, I wonder how we feel as we read those words. Could be all sorts of things. They're not uh, easy to hear. Well, we're going to get into these tricky verses, but before we do, I think it'll help us if we uh, take a step back and look at the whole. Because notice the, what all these verses talk about. They're all about how people relate to one another, how we relate to each other at church how we relate to one another in marriage, how parents and kids relate to one another in families, how slaves and masters relate to one another at the workplace. It's all about how people relate to one another. 
See, these tricky verses are pressing us to think about our relationships. So before we go on, here's a question for us on the screens to think about. What shapes how you relate to others? Think about that for a bit. Maybe picture a friend or a significant other, someone you have authority over, someone who has authority over you. What is it that shapes how you relate to them? Well, it could be things like this. How I feel about them. Do I like this person? Do I not? How they've treated me could well shape how I treat them. How useful can they be to me? You know, can they help me get what I want? Um, what will impress them or make them like me? How can I get their approval? Uh, the power that I have over them might determine what I do with them. And their social status compared to mine. All those things might shape how we treat other people. Uh, and notice what they all have in common. They're all about me. I, me, mine, self-centered. That's the thread running through those things. And now you could say, well, Michael, you, you picked those words. You got to put I, me, and mine up there. But I think if we're honest, we'd say, that's the thread that runs through our hearts. That naturally, I assume I'm at the center. And other people, they revolve around me. You know, uh, I'm at the center, and other people, they orbit around us. And when God gets to work in someone's life, he changes that. Maybe you've heard of the uh, Copernican Revolution. Back in the 1500s, everyone thought that the earth was at the center of the universe. You know, that's what everyone thought, that we're at the center and everything else revolves around us. Um, until this astronomer, Copernicus, came along and said, no, uh, the earth isn't at the center of the universe, the sun is. And he didn't get that quite right, it was a solar system, but you know what he's saying. We're not at the center. The sun is. And everything, including us, revolves around the sun. It's a big mind shift. We're not at the center. The sun is. Well, for the Christian, a Copernican revolution has taken place. Because if we're Christians, God has showed us we're not the center of the universe. His son, Jesus, is. That all things revolve around him. Everything including you and me, were created by him and through him and for him. And because Jesus is the center of the universe, Christians respond, I want Jesus to be the center of my universe. I don't belong at the center. He does. In Paul's words, we receive Jesus as Lord and here's the difference that makes for our relationships. It's no longer me at the center with other people revolving around my agenda. You know, how can, they help, how can they help me get what I want? How have they treated me? How can I make them like me? If Jesus is my Lord, then my relationships won't be self-centered like that. They'll be Jesus-centered. How can I please him? How can I honor him? what will reflect him 
in how I relate to this person. Now, being Jesus-centered in the way we relate to others, it's a lifetime project. But let me show us um, up on the screens that it is the thread running through these verses. Just notice how many times Christ or Lord pop up. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wives, submit as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, Children, obey, for this pleases the Lord. Slaves obey with reverence for the Lord, as working for the Lord, an inheritance from the Lord. It's the Lord Christ you're serving, and masters. You know that you also have a master, literally a Lord in heaven. You get the point. Whether it's relationships in marriage or church or families or the workplace, Paul weaves the Lord Jesus into all of them. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to think about a few specifics, but here's the key thing for us to take away and digest. Jesus shapes all of our relationships. That question that, um, that we ask ourselves, what is it that shapes how I relate to others? Well, the goal is that more and more we'll be able to say, Jesus is. That in my relationships with others, Christ is decisive. He sets the agenda as Lord. Well, let's see what that looks like in our different relationships. First, Jesus shapes how we relate to one another in church. Um, If you've got your, your Bibles open, then look back at verse 15 of Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Isn't that interesting? Um, According to Paul, church isn't about doing religious stuff. It's all about relationships. Um, Over the last term, if you've been here, this letter has been reassuring us that if we have Jesus, then we have everything we need, spiritually speaking. And so when we come to church, we don't come to be spiritually filled to get more forgiveness or more spiritual life. For God has already given us everything in Jesus. And so when we come to church, we come to thank Him and to serve one another. Now, we all have bodies, and I'd like us to imagine some strange stuff happening with our bodies. Imagine, what if your ear decided that it didn't fancy being with the the rest of your body, and so it kind of detached itself? and hopped off. That would be strange. Or imagine that your hand and your foot started fighting each other. That would be odd. Uh, You know, if if you notice your body parts doing things like that, you'd be confused and shocked, wouldn't we? Well, Paul says that the church is Jesus' body. We've been joined to him and so joined to one another. Well, how must Jesus feel when he sees his body parts behaving like that? See, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's not talking about a peaceful feeling. 
It's saying, make it your heart's priority to have peace with your fellow body parts in Christ. Let his peace rule in your decision-making. So think of how we relate to one another in church. The conversations we have, the messages that we send each other through the week, uh, the jokes we tell, having other people around to our houses uh, or not. Um, what we do in that little gap when the kids were going downstairs, is that a chance to catch up on WhatsApp messages or to greet someone? What we're going to do with the time, uh, with coffee time after this service? With all those things, we're to pursue good relationships, asking ourselves, what can I do to establish peace, to restore peace, uh, to promote the kind of peace Christ wants between us, his body parts? And it's interesting that right after Paul talks about peace, he says, um, verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you. Sometimes you hear people say stuff like this, that uh, love unites, but doctrine divides. Like the peace of Christ and the word of Christ cancel each other out. Or there might be someone who loves um, the love of a Christian community, but they don't like the teachings of Christianity. Like uh, you can have the peace of Christ without the word of Christ. But for Paul, the two go together. He puts them right beside each other, like, like you can't have one without the other. Because on the one hand, it's by having the Bible's message dwell in us that we have peace as a church. Because if I know that God has shown me undeserved grace in Jesus, then I'll show grace to others. And if I know that Jesus died for me to make me uh, an enemy his friend, then I'll extend friendship when it's hard. And on the other hand, it's by having close relationships that we have the message of Christ dwell in us as we teach and admonish one another. You know, we won't know what needs admonishing if we don't know each other. And as hard as I'll find it for you to admonish me, I'll find it even harder if we're not close in relationship. See, Christ wants us to be a community that knows his message well enough and knows each other well enough that we can speak well-chosen Christian truths into one another's lives. That's one reason that um, it's worth committing to a church small group and doing the hard work of knowing others well and letting them know you so we can apply the Bible into each other's lives. And depending on who you are, it'll either be a joy or devastating that we don't just speak these things to each other, we sing them. <laughs> um, uh, Christ-centered songs just sink in in a way like nothing else. I'm, I'm under no illusions that tomorrow morning when we wake up, we're not going to remember much from this talk. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much I'm going to remember from this talk. But you may well wake up with, um, with, oh, what a savior is he, dancing around your head. It's a reason I'm not in the music group. But um, it's great to serve one another by singing those things. 
And it's great that we started with a thank you card, because maybe you noticed that um, uh, when Paul talks about our church relationships, he mentions thankfulness three times. The end of verse 15, 16, 17. Why does he do that? Well, maybe because it's much easier to live in peace with someone if I've learned to be thankful for them. In fact, if there is someone in our church family who you find tricky, why not thank God for them every day between today and next Sunday? See if that changes anything. For me, I've noticed just how quickly I've started taking for granted that we can meet in person again. You know, remember how thrilling it was when we could regather again after lockdown, and now it could just seem normal or like a chore. It's crazy. Uh, when I feel, when we feel the faff, the friction of meeting together, let's be thankful. We're so privileged to get to be together in community with each other. Well, now we're going to move into those tricky verses. And as we do, I just want to mention a couple of things. First, notice that when Paul talks about Jesus-centered relationships, he doesn't stop at church. This week, I was in a primary school um, with children asking their questions about what Christians believe. And lots of them were about, how do Christians worship? Where do Christians worship? And um, verse 17 is a really good answer to those questions. Christians don't just worship in church on Sundays, but whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wherever we are, whoever we're relating to, we're to let Jesus shape it all because he's the Lord of all things. See, there's a danger that we do some of our relationships Christianly, but other relationships we separate off from Jesus' influence. You know, what I do with my boyfriend or girlfriend behind closed doors, uh, what I'm like with my friends at school, how I treat my family when we get home from church, being one person on a Sunday and being another person in those settings. And the point of these tricky verses is, that's not an option. We can't compartmentalize our lives like that. We're to bring all our relationships under the Lordship of Christ. In other words, these verses call us to integrity, which is a beautiful thing. Not living a double life, but being Christian in all our relationships, because Jesus shapes them all. Second, I want to say something about submission and obeying. I'm thinking of verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. And we read those commands, and we might flinch. You know, so backwards. Are we really expected to obey this stuff today? And maybe not just backwards, they might seem harmful, reinforcing bad power structures, um, enabling abuse. Now, sadly, these verses have been misused to condone that kind of thing. 
But there's no excuse here for ungodly control or demands or abuse. Remember those verses that Kara read for us earlier. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, love. Those commands apply to everyone in these lists, all of us. And notice these commands aren't one-sided. Wives aren't just told to submit. Husbands are told, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Parents, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Masters, provide, for, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. This isn't permission for husbands and fathers and masters to do whatever they want. Um, Paul would say to us, if we're in that position, then forget about your rights and focus on your responsibilities to the other person. And don't miss who's really in charge in these relationships. It's not husbands or fathers or masters. The Lord is in charge. And if we misuse our power, then we'll answer to him. Now, as for whether these commands still apply today, we, command these, or we read these commands to submit, and we're shocked. Surely this must be wrong. Surely Paul is just being shaped by his culture back then. But back then, husbands and fathers and masters would read Paul's commands to love their wives, to be considerate to their kids, to provide for their slaves, and they'd be shocked. Surely this must be wrong, Paul. Because in their culture, your, your wife and slaves and kids, they were just objects. They were property for you to do with as you wanted. Paul was deeply challenging his culture. We just find the other bits offensive. Because in our culture, it's all about asserting yourself, expressing yourself. You know, that's how to be free. Um, assert yourself. And so submitting myself to another is unthinkable in our culture. Which raises the question that it would be good to maybe think about. When we find these commands offensive, is it because Paul was shaped by his culture? Or is it because we've been shaped by our culture? See, whichever side of these commands I find myself on, I'll try to wriggle out of them. Because at the end of the day, I want to be at the center. I don't want to submit to someone else. I don't want to care for someone else. I want them to revolve around me. Uh, I want to suit myself. And then there's Jesus, the Lord of all, who used his power not selfishly, but to serve others sacrificially. The Lord of all, who didn't live his life asserting himself, but submitting to others. And it's his kind of submissive, sacrificial lordship that is to shape all of our relationships. Well, there's lots here, and um, we don't have much time, so the best thing I can do, and I'm not just dodging the bullet here, the best thing I can do is to recommend some good books for us. Um, here we are. Uh, how does Jesus' Lordship shape our marriages? Well, you could read this book, The Meaning of Marriage, by Tim and Kathy Keller. That would be really good. How does Jesus shape our parenting? Well, um, 
say what you see. You can read this book, Parenting, by Paul Tripp. That would be great too. How does Jesus shape our working relationships? Well, this book, God at Work, that could be worth reading. And what's good about all these books is they, um, they don't say, look, here's the one right Christian way to do parenting, to do marriage, to do work. Um, no, applying these verses will look different in our different marriages, different families, different workplaces. Uh, and these books might help. The Easter holidays are coming up. Why not get one of these and give it a read? Or buy a couple and read it with a friend and do that teaching and admonishing one another that Paul says is good. Well, just a minute on each of these. How does Jesus shape our marriages? Well, he says, verse, Paul says, verse 18, 19, wives are to submit to their husbands. Uh, next slide, please. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands must love their wives. Notice, Paul does not tell husbands to make their wives submit. Submitting is willing. And it's not about being a doormat. It's about being a partnership together. The idea is that the husband is so committed to his wife's well-being that she willingly trusts him with overall responsibility for their life together. So some quick questions. Wives, are you trusting your husbands with responsibility for your life together? Does he know that? Husbands, are you seeking your wife's well-being whatever the cost to yourself? Does she know that? Next, how does Jesus shape our relationships with family? That's verse 21 and 20 and 21. Children are to obey. Parents are to be considerate. Now our families will have different challenges, uh, and this pattern might not be straightforward for us. Just notice that if you're a child, what dignity this gives you. Your obedience pleases Jesus. That's you. Uh, and parents, Paul is saying we need to find a way to discipline our children without breaking them, without embittering them. So quick questions. Uh, children, how can you make your parents' joy a job as they try to bring you up? Parents, uh, what will help you to grow your kids in maturity without discouraging them? And finally, how Jesus shapes our relationships at work. That's verse 22 onwards. Now, originally, Paul was talking to slaves and masters, but he's not approving of slavery. In fact, he's undermining it by talking to slaves like real human beings, by telling masters, look, you're a slave of a master in heaven, undermining all the foundations of slavery. For us, there's so much here for our working relationships. Christians should be model employees because our work is worship to the Lord, even when the boss isn't looking. And it should be a joy to work for a Christian employer because if Jesus is our Lord, then we'll care for the people under us. And if you're at school with exams coming up, then um, remember, you're not just working for a result. You're working for the Lord. 
So um, if you're the kind of student who finds it easy to, to get good results without working very hard, then be careful. Work hard for the Lord. And if that's not you, if you work hard and for whatever reason you just don't get the results that other people are getting, then don't be discouraged. You're working for the Lord, and He'll reward your hard work. Well, let's pray that God will help us to make all our relationships more and more Jesus-centered. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know our different relationships, whether we're married or not, if we have families or not.